All right, Jackson, you get to do the intro this time. Excellent. Well, hello, uh, fellow amateur historians, Monday morning quarterbackers, and our other dear listeners. Welcome to yet another episode of Yesterday's History, where we detail to you an event that occurred on this day a long time ago. Today being, what is today, Connor? Technically, it's January 15th, 2021. Exactly. And today's topic was actually recommended to us by one of our listeners, Mr. Mitch Worthen. And it was by far too dark and too gruesome for us to pass up. So thanks, Mitch. This one's for you, bud. So, our topic is the Battle of Ramry Island at the beginning of 1945. Uh, Ramry Island is located on the coast of Myanmar, which is now Burma. Although okay. it's, it's now Myanmar. It used to be Burma. Okay, okay. And from I think sat- Burma's a cooler name. Yeah, Burma does sound cooler than Myanmar. Yeah. Myanmar sounds like a curry or a spice. Myanmar spice would be a good spice if, it's, <laughs> if that existed. So, on a satellite map, when looking at this uh, island, it may as well be just a peninsula. Uh, the island is shaped like a hammerhead with a large mangrove swamp at its neck connecting it to the coast. It ranges from sea level beaches and marshes to its highest point atop of Zikhai Tung. We're going to butcher the um, Burmese pronunciations of these because we are not linguists. Yeah, they're. I, I knew I was going to trip over myself as soon as I saw that. There's a lot of consonants where you wouldn't expect there to be consonants. Which is about, so the mountain sits about 1,000 feet or 300, 300 meters. There are also mud volcanoes on the island, which apparently are not like hot springs. Well, they are like hot springs. Oh, they are like hot springs, and they burp up mud instead of water. I we, think there's actually some in Yellowstone. Yeah, yeah. We, like mud pots, basically. Yeah, uh, when I was there this this past summer, I went and saw the mud pots. They're by, um, they're in uh, the Geyser Canyon. Uh, not the Lamar Valley of the Yellowstone. It's um, yeah. Like I've been to Yellowstone several it's, times. Oh, I still, near, I've near, seen them. I don't know where they are. They're near Old Faithful. They're near Old Faithful. Oh, basically, this place seems uh, pretty pretty wild. I mean, there's, 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 there's a, a lot hell, going on. It's a hellish landscape, pretty I much. I feel like it's like the kind of place where like you look at like the villages there, and you see like, oh, this village is like almost like renting space from the jungle. Like you step outside the village, you're like, wow, I should see like raptors or something walking through the. the <laughs> The, like vines um alright well so to set up this battle this takes place again at the very beginning of 1945 mid-January early mid-January so this is also when the Japanese are losing ground I mean they've quickly well, they, they've lost all the ground this is now just the island hopping strategy of the yeah. British and Americans yeah and the British were basically working through South Burma and Southeast Asia um they began I, the British won this island because although it does have that fairly large mountain on it the majority of the island is flat and it's about 520 square miles of mostly flat um so they wanted uh, to put airfields on to support the rest of their campaign through burma so by the 2nd of january a plan was drawn up and the 26th indian infantry division was ordered to attack ramry island at the same time as royal a royal marine detachment from the third commando brigade uh occupied the nearby like five miles away nearby island of chaduba on the fort, and uh, when they occupied that on the fourteenth, ah, dude, I feel bad for those poor Indian divisions. I mean, they were just kind of thrown in there. Well, and apparently, they had just gotten off of like they had just like taken over someplace else. That's where they were available to be in this attack. So they were a garrison unit, and now no, no, they just... were an, they were like an assault force more. They were oh, just, so, okay. They were like an actually attack force. They had just like taken over, taken some town from the Japanese, like farther north. And these are these are like 
India in the yes. Indians. Okay, so like British British Raj. No, the and British British recruiting Native Americans right out of like Oh god damn it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they the Japanese were holding the island with um, basically their second battalion of the hundred and twenty first infantry regiment, which was a part of their fifty fourth infantry division. And you know, the accompany, accompanying complement of engineers and artillerymen, roughly a thousand guys. Um, so the battle began with a preliminary bombardment by the battleship Queen Elizabeth, light cruiser Phoebe, three extra destroyers, and two sloops. Which I didn't really know the sloops were still a thing in 1945, but they were. <laughs> yeah, you just see a sloop just sailing by with like old <laughs> Napoleonic <laughs> cannons, just firing. <laughs> Throwing like bombs with fuses sticking out of them. <laughs> uh, also joining them was a light carrier Amir. And, like, a air attack group of, like, B-24s, B-25s, P-47s. So you can kind of tell that by this point the Allies know what they're doing with um, island assaults. And because this, this island was basically, I mean, this is a, a ton of firepower right now for what was basically a sideshow of the Burma campaign, which itself tends to get kind of shuffled to the sidelines of the whole Pacific War. And they threw, like, so many ships at it where there's really not that, a lot, not a lot going on. This is, like, a thing they set up so they just get airfields. To support a larger, a larger like it's uh, like your military campaign. tactics in Hearts of Iron, you know, uh, what is it? Superior firepower. Yeah, your superior firepower doctrine. Superior firepower doctrine all the way. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, the Indians landed basically unopposed on the north side of the island. Uh, they only suffered casualties when, like, I think two of their ships struck mine. It's said it a motor tug or like a motor, just a motor boat, and a um, uh, a landing craft struck a mine. Which would suck, but that's that's pretty easy casualties by Pacific War standards on a beach landing. So by the afternoon, the beachhead was secure. Two days later, the port town of Kiukpiu, uh, that's on the north side of uh, Ramri Island, was occupied. Then they moved to the town of Mayin two days after that. Uh, the Japanese were putting up a pretty stiff resistance, but by the 1st of February, a Japanese stronghold of about 900 men, which is pretty much everyone they had there had been outflanked, and they attempted to regroup, or to across the island and attempt to regroup with larger Japanese forces. Now, it wasn't clear if these Japanese forces were still on Ramory Island, because 900 guys kind of accounts for everyone that was supposed to be there, or if this was, like, through the mangrove forest back onto the co- onto the coastline. I think it was back onto the coastline to go meet up with uh, the rest other... More other Japanese. Yeah, the more other, other Japanese forces. That's what I take away from That makes more sense to me. Um, but... That's really not what we're here to talk about. The, what we're here to talk about is the fact that the route the Japanese elected to take was not for the faint of heart. Or really any type of heart for that matter. They decided to trudge through 9.9 miles, or 16 kilometers, through the most horrific mangrove swamps on the peninsula. While Jackson explained what the mangrove swamps were like, he failed to explain what lies within them. And believe me, they're the stuff of fucking nightmares. Mangrove swamps are terrifying. <laughs> they so, are freaky. We're just going to start you off small here. So, for starters, there are bugs. And lots of them. I mean, All, this all is, of the bugs. This is the South Pacific. I mean, you're not going to get away without having bugs. If you had a nightmare about it, it's going to be there. The worst of all, and by far the most numerous, were the mosquitoes. The common enemy of mankind. That malaria. With the, these blood-sucking insects comes tropical disease like malaria, yellow fever, stuff like that. Was dengue, dengue fever in this area or is that Africa? I don't know. I, I suppose I, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You're getting tropical diseases <laughs> here no matter, matter what. what. 
what's the thing about like how like the fighting in the in the Pacific was like the only like theater in the whole war where people reliably died more often of disease and like and starvation. Well, because then like led by enemy attack and they died like lots of them that died. Like, it wasn't I mean, small you get injured and then you're sent. You're already if you're injured, your body is already prone to you know uh, attacks from pathogens and whatnot. So and the pathogens are just super aggressive anyway. Yeah, you're not going to get like yellow fever and malaria being in a medical camp in you know Eastern Europe or Western Europe. You're in a medical camp here. The mosquitoes and flies and the maggots and the bugs, they are unavoidable here. Yeah, that's so true. disease is just almost, it's just a fact of life here. Like, you can't get over that. Like, on the Eastern Front, they may be freezing to death the whole time, but at least, they, I mean, they didn't have to worry about disease too often. I don't, know which, I, I don't know which way I'd rather go. I don't know, I think it's a flip of the coin. You want to freeze to death or die of, like, your insides turning to At blush. least if I froze to death, you know, you kind of just, like, fall asleep. I, I, I don't know. I, don't what know. I, I can't tell because I feel like I'm more used to the cold, so I'd be like okay with that. But like I just like sleeping, just wet all the time, and getting that like that like rot or like trench, like basically like your body starts to get trench foot on your hands and like on every because trench foot doesn't just apply to your feet; it can go anywhere. So anyway, tropical disease, and without proper supplies or treatments, these tropical diseases would usually lead to a slow and painful death. The Japanese also trudging through the swamp, faced a sh- huge shortage of fresh drinking water. Because all the water you're walking through is salt water. And it's, I mean, it's also just dirty. I mean, it's filled with bacteria, well, yeah. amoebas, that too. stuff like That's that. <laughs> you wouldn't want to drink it anyway. <laughs> and that that has nothing to mention about not having food either. The, I guess the other part we should forget, shouldn't forget to say is that the British basically tried to cut off the Japanese or there's like a, like a mm-hmm. sw- small part of the swamp that connected to the mainland they're trying to get through or like the Japanese are trying to send small boats to like ferry people back and forth and the British cut that off as much as possible so that's why they end up stuck here for so long yeah so the Japanese are actually stuck there for about a month yeah which is I mean being stuck in these conditions for a month and we haven't even gotten to the worst of it yet no so mosquitoes bugs no water no food this is just like ramping up to the worst parts about it. Next up on our list of horrors would have been the numerous species of deadly spiders, snakes, and scorpions, which getting bit, stung, or, you know, having to deal with any of these, just hiding in your boots, hiding in any of your just uh, equipment. You just act, you, you reach for, oh, you reach for a flashlight, you reach for your like gun, you get bit by a spider and then a day later, you're dead. Like, you don't even see that coming. It's almost like... And it's a, so fast. Yeah. So, while all these sound incredibly horrific and debilitating, they are mild. And I mean mild. In comparison to the true horror that calls these swamps home. Even today, they call this home. It's a predator from a bygone era. An animal that hasn't changed for millions of years because evolution has created the perfect killing machine. (laughs) The cold-blooded creature I am talking about is the saltwater crocodile. These beasts, and that is what they are, beasts, can grow up to 20 feet long and come in at a whopping 2,000 pounds. That's a a single ton right there. (laughs) Wait, is that a ton? That is a ton. Wow. I'm learning new things today. Or 2,000. Okay, that's like within 100 pounds or 200 pounds of a ton, but still, 2,000 pounds is, that's a, that's a lot. A single saltwater croc, they've been known to take down whole water buffalo. 
So if you pit a wa- saltwater croc it is 2000 against a man, I'm going to put my money on the croc. And sorry, not, not sorry. Oh yeah, these things are like they're dinosaurs. They they're just straight up dinosaurs. And you look up pictures of them, they look they look unnaturally big. The, there's the picture of Steve Irwin like probably a couple of feet away from them and like god bless Steve Irwin but that man has cojones of steel because yeah. you couldn't get me within like six miles of one of these beasts like even like even on land it'd be like I'm gonna stay like at least a football field away from that thing and the water no 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 no, no. And that's the thing like the Japanese had to have known that they were in there like they're they're not going in blind they know that there are saltwater crocs there so like is it worse to get captured by the British or go swimming with 2,000 pound Crocs. Apparently getting captured by the British. (laughs) Apparently. So, alerted by the sounds of war and attracted to the smell of blood in the water, these crocs slowly made their way into the swamps with the tides. According to Bruce Wright, he was a British naturalist and also a soldier fighting on the peninsula during this time. He handed us down a description of some of these events in his book called wildlife sketches near and far and reading this quote it's it's like you could almost picture it out of a nature documentary if you took out the water buffalo like hitchcock or something (laughs) yeah if if alfred hitchcock wrote this so his quote and i quote that night on the 19th of february 1945 was the most horrible that any member of the ML motor launch crews ever experienced. The scattered rifle shots in the pitch black swamps, punctured by the screams of wounded men, crushed in the jaws of huge reptiles, and blurred worrying sounds of spinning crocodiles made a canicophery of hell that has rarely been duplicated on earth. At dawn, the vultures arrived to clean up what the crocodiles had left. Off of about 1,000 Japanese soldiers that entered the swamps of Ramri, only about 20 were found alive. End quote. That's terrifying. If my, even half of that's true. <laughs> like, just like hearing it, and even though like I blundered my way kind of through the quote, just like hearing it kind of like almost like sets me on edge. Just the idea of the that those crocodiles grabbing a not even just like a wounded man grabbing a man and doing their death spiral you're up and you're you're breathing and the next thing you're under the water then you're back up and you're just spinning round and round in this murky water and all you feel is dark and you can't nothing's happening and then you might have seen that someone happen next to you someone just gets taken by that like what do you even do you pick up your gun you just start shooting into the water your friend is fucked anyway I mean you're just you're screwed you also have like several thousand pounds of bite force crunching down on you. I mean, even if you get away from that croc, there is no chance you are going to recover. Like, now you've got the wound that... Oh, you're dead. Yeah. (laughs) We mentioned now there's an open wound. If you got away, you get infected. You've got to still maybe get yourself to dry land. Then you've got to have, like, your fellow soldiers carry you somewhere so that way you might be able to maybe... And there's no way to put you in a mangrove swamp. It's not like dirt or anything you're just like kind of walking between the trees and the tides there like can be as tall as a man like to come in and out like it's like a yeah, full-grown yep. person so like you're walking around like in ankle deep water and like one part of the day and then it comes up and it's to your neck what the japanese needed were some hammocks yeah <laughs> and a boat 
hammocks and boat, you know, just not to be there well, in general. Also, another thing about mangrove forest, which is crazy, is that because of, like, it's all salt water, you get sharks in those, too. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, they talk about, like, some of the people might have gotten picked off by sharks as well because they're, I mean, salt water, then they, like, send this big tile a couple oh, of... Oh, I just got goosebumps. Nasty sharks could end up and just throw that into the... I hate Throw that into sharks. the mix of just horrible, awful things in there. Oh, man. So, yeah. basically, resistance on this island is, like, ended on the 17th of February. Which, also, this started on January 15th. Yeah, when they ran into the swamp on, I think, the, was it the 19th, I believe. No, 1st of February. 1st of February, supposedly, when that day they got flanked, outflanked and decided to retreat through the swamp. And then the British tried to cut them off, and so they were kind of stuck in there until the 17th of February. Um, and the Allied blockade was lifted on the 22nd. Um... All told, the Japanese were able to evacuate some 500 men during this time out of, like, the swamp and whatnot. And another 20-ish surrendered to the British and Indian troops. So that leaves, you know, some 500 guys unaccounted for and presumed presumed dead. Um, It's unknown how many attempted to die fleeing in small boats if they were shot by the British or if they died from, like, we used to talk about exposure, disease, dehydration... All that fun stuff. The myriad of ways to die. Yeah, yeah. A A thousand ways to die. Panoply of terrible, terrible, awful things that could happen to you. Um, It used to be credited as the worst crocodile disaster ever by the Guinness Book of World Records, but that has since been dismissed as implausible. Um, It is rather certain, however, that a non-zero number of Japanese soldiers were killed by crocodiles, but the exact number is disputed. It used to be, be said that hundreds were eaten by them, which is probably kind of nuts, as uh, one historian, Frank McLinn, pointed out in his book that uh, the island probably couldn't support the number of of predators required to actually kill hundreds of men in, like, the three weeks they were stuck there, mm-hmm. but if you already, well, but, like, all, but not to say that, like, the dead people can be, like, you know, drug away by a shark, um, or eaten by, they said, like, vultures or big snakes could, like, I mean, how, as well. like, the tides coming in and out picks up a man or picks up a dead body, pulls it out to sea, and then never oh, heard yeah. from again. Like, oh, yeah. Stuff like that. There's there's literally a myriad way, myriad ways to die out there. And just the whole thought process or, like, thinking about, you know, running into this mangrove swamp where you know there are bad, horrors. Bad things in there. At least at a British POW camp, you might get some water, you might get some bread, you're not going to be chest deep with a bunch of killer reptiles, which, ugh, just the idea, ugh. Oh, and he's keeping out just sitting there at night huddling with your rifle, just like even like a couple of dudes or maybe even like a few dozen guys just kind of waiting. It's a lot like the whole Indianapolis thing, except, I don't know, more than just sharks to get you. Oh, God, the Indianapolis is another one we should do one day. I but would love to do the Indianapolis. I, I tend to think that not very many people were actually straight up killed by crocodiles, because crocodiles also don't eat that often like a sorrow croc would eat is someone the size of, a, of, a, of a, like a person and they could not eat they would not probably eat for a yeah, couple of weeks and they're, they're, so they are prone to killing and they can kill live things oh yeah for but sure if given the choice between a live human and a dead one the croc is going to pick the dead one yeah so a man could have died from you know disease dehydration or you know just whatever not being able to eat a gunshot <laughs> yeah a gunshot and uh then he just gets drug off by the croc and then yeah, that's an that- I think happened a lot. <laughs> That's an unaccounted thing. The part that screws with me, though, is, you know, just like the poor British bastard. Not the poor British bastards. Those are the lucky ones in this story. But the British guys who are just like in their boats, shining lights out into the mangrove swamps. And all you see 
are the reflective eyes of these giant crocs. And then 20, 30 minutes later, you hear gunshots and screams. It's like, okay, well, I'm glad I'm in this boat and I'm not in that swamp. This reminds me of like, like the scene from Lord of the Rings where all the orcs run off into the trees after Helm's Deep and you see the trees just like go nuts and then the old orc's just gone. Everyone <laughs> just screams in the trees. You're like, oh, that was probably awful. <laughs> and that scene in Lost Trail where they're like running through the tall grass and Velociraptor's just like snagging people. Oh, yeah. The Lost right? World, not the Lost Trail. Right. Lost World, not the Lost Trail. I was like, huh? What the hell is the Lost Trail? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, God, like that's just terrifying of like, that gets on like a primal level of being fear afraid. Yeah, well, I mean, it's pretty much Jurassic Park. I mean, it's dinosaurs versus man. Oh, that yeah, point. it is Jurassic Park. <laughs> wow. So, guys, this is the story of a Jurassic Park here. Yeah. On that note, on our Hollywood reference note, uh, thanks again for listening, guys. Uh, we hope you all have a great, safe weekend. I will be in Utah diving, so this is going to be fun. And besides that, guys, yeah, go follow us on Instagram um, at yesterday's history underscore 4271. No, no, no it's, yes, it's yesterday's history. Four two, a, yeah, yeah, it's yesterday, yesterday underscore history. history. Underscore no, history. It's yesterday underscore history 4271. Oh, yeah. Yesterday underscore history 4271. I'm Connor James on Instagram. Jackson is Jackson underscore Langlin. We are on Spotify. We're on iTunes. I mean, we're pretty much anywhere you can get your podcast. So we are anywhere and we are now everywhere. So give us a like, give us a follow. All of it's appreciated. All right, ladies and gents. Have a good weekend. Have fun.